I think Matt will be okay. He's so big and they're so small. So, Would you please take your copy of the Word of God and let's look at uh, Matthew 8, 23 to 27. Matthew 8, 23 to 27. Mrs. Hubbard was afraid I'd be cold here today, and uh, she overcame that with this coat. So I just wear what, what she puts out. And sitting in that sun a while ago, I thought I was not going to make it, but uh, it's a little cooler up here. So Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. I'm going to begin a little bit differently today. I want to read the text first. So if you're with me in Matthew 8, verse 23, it says this. When he got into the boat, so he's talking about Jesus. Remember, he just had two people come and say they wanted to be disciples. And then Jesus told them what that entailed. And uh, apparently they didn't become disciples as far as we know. But when he got into the boat, his disciples, so he's talking about the apostles especially, followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So he's on the Sea of Galilee. So that the boat was being covered with waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him, and they woke him, and they said, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid? You men of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed, and they said, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? This passage is so full of theological issues and theological answers that we really need to wrap our mind around it and our heart around it and really try, to hard, uh, try hard to understand what he is telling us. There's tons of stuff here, and I'm going to overwhelm you here for just a second with questions about our passage this morning because it brings all kinds of issues up. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to give you enough time to answer each of these questions, but we're going to be answering these questions as we go through the text this morning. So let me, let me share some of them. And I'd like you to take those to heart. Does Jesus really or somehow expect us to take charge of the storms in life that come our way? Does Jesus expect you to take care of the storms in life that come your way? Moving on. Does Jesus ever get irritated with my lack of faith or my inability to employ that faith? Do you think that we should be surprised when God does amazing things? What would Jesus have done in today's account had the disciples refused to wake him up and make him aware of the great storm that came upon him. What then? How on earth is Jesus able to sleep through a fierce storm while floating on a tossing boat filling with water? How can you imagine, while floating in the same boat as Jesus was in, that you had to be afraid for your life? Are you thinking that it could be because, well, Jesus can walk on water and I can't? What could I accomplish if I had faith? Could I move mountains? Is faith the key in managing storms in my life, hardship, trouble, even good times? What would Jesus' evaluation of my faith have been if I would have been there on that day, if I'd have been in that boat? 
what would Jesus evaluate my faith to be? And I just want to end with a couple of uh, little questions. It may sound funny, but it goes like this. Do I trust faith? Do I trust faith? You ever think about that? Faith comes up all over the Bible. Do I trust it? And another one is like it. Is it really valuable? Is faith really valuable? Jesus is going to speak to all those issues. Now, having asked those questions, let's go back and read it again. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. So the boat is is being swamped. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, what are you, what, Why are you afraid? You men of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? I'm not crying because it's such a beautiful text. It was, but uh, I was in a lot of sawdust yesterday, and my eyes are watering so bad I can't see anything. All right, uh, but I'll get through this, all right? When we look at our, uh, if you have your bulletin, the notes are in the bulletin, and you can follow along there if you'd like to. There's a lot of things we need to take account of, and we need to figure out what's going on so that we can apply it to our lives. In verse 23, what I think we're going to learn is that Normal events sometimes lead to extraordinary dangers. Normal events sometimes lead to extraordinary dangers. And what I mean by that is that when you wake up in the morning, every day, you have no idea what the day will bring. Yeah, you have plans. Some of you say, well, I'm going to go to school, or I'm going to go to work, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. You have plans, but you don't know what's going to happen during that day, uh, either good or bad. Usually, we're in the morning praying for the good to happen. The presence of the ordinary when we wake up is no sign that it's going to stay ordinary. Things can get bad. Things can get worse. My cousin Dave, when something happens, he always says, well, don't worry. Things can get worse. They always get worse. And uh, that's what you always had to look forward to. Well, it's not always true, but the presence of an ordinary day or starts in a good way does not mean it's going to end that way. The disciples had embarked on a number of journeys on the Sea of Galilee. Think about this. We know the four brothers, or the four or two sets of brothers lived in Capernaum. That's what they did. Peter fished for a living. So here's a guy that's on the Sea of Galilee all the time. He knows everywhere to fish. He knows all the shoreline. He knows this. He knows what it can do. There used to be out there a lot at night fishing, and this is ordinary for them. The master says, get in a boat. No problem. Let's get in the boat. Everybody gets in the boat. And there's no sign from Jesus as they get in the boat that this is going to be more than just another boat ride for the disciples. I'm thinking everybody's probably depending on that just being a non-eventful another boat ride. What does Jesus do? Well, the text says he makes his way to the front of the boat. There's some kind of cushions probably made out of some grasses or something in bags. And he's laying down. He is exhausted. Remember we talked about that? He has been healing people morning and night all day long. He never gets away from it, and he's exhausted. He is worn out because of his humanity. He got, he got tired just like we did. And he goes up, and he lays down, and he is fast asleep. He is out. 
And the truth is that those who confess to be disciples of Christ are about to be tested for their faithfulness. They're about to be tested. Do they trust God? Is trust that important? Is faith that important? That's the whole issue in our passage this morning. They're going to be tested of Christ. You don't know when you wake up in the morning. Is this the day I'm going to be tested on something? Is this the day that God's going to put something in my life that I won't be able to handle or I think I won't be able to handle and how I'm going to get through it? Some people wake up and worry about that every day and their whole life is paralyzed by worrying about it uh, instead of going ahead by, by faith. Well, they didn't know what was about to happen to them in the boat. So Jesus is there in the boat. The apostles are in the boat. And then uh, Mark tells us that there's other people, other people that would be uh, disciples on a lesser level than the apostles that are getting in their boats. They're going to follow Jesus where he's going. The guy just can't get a rest. You know, they're going to be on the seashore when he's on the seashore. So he's taking a nap uh, right now with just his apostles. And the two would-be disciples, I should say, that we read about in 18 through 22, uh, they're not going to be present for this lesson on the sea. His core disciples get in the boat with him. Now, I just want you to remember something that uh, if you've ever been out in a storm, um, I try not to go in boats so I don't ever get myself in trouble on boats. Uh, they, you know, I hear about people getting in trouble on boats, but that's not going to be me. All right, if I get in trouble, it'll be on the dry ground. But I've been on storm, in storms on the dry ground where you had to yell to talk to somebody maybe from here to the front of the communion table. And they could barely, barely hear you. And uh, we also have waves crashing over the boat when the sea gets really rough and the water starting to build up in the boat. And the boat is rocking. And, and Jesus just keeps sleeping. How did he do that? Well, he's just sleeping there. And they get in the boat. Mark tells us other people were in other boats. But I don't think they heard what Jesus said because of the storm and they're scattered out with their boats as well now we assume that they're going to suffer the same disaster in terms of the sea on Galilee but they're not going to hear what the disciples heard I don't think that would be possible for them they're just not going to be close enough and the same marvelous salvation is going to be given to them and the rebuke is going to his apostles in the boat I want you to know this from where we're at so far verse 23 when you and I follow the master, right? We want to be his disciple. We want to do what he tells us to do. We want to follow along and obey. When you and I follow the master, you're not ever guaranteed that you will always have smooth sailing, to use a nautical theme. You are not guaranteed when you get out of bed in the morning and say your morning prayers, you are not guaranteed that this day is going to go the way you want it to go, that it's going to be a happy day, a good day, and that nothing wrong is going to happen. That's not a guarantee that Jesus Christ gives those who follow him. Jesus, the point is, goes with us in life's storms. He is in the boat, right, right where the disciples are. He's in the same dangerous situation that they are in. How do you know? Because he's sleeping in the boat. It tells us that. He's not very, you saw how small these boats are. He's not very far away and he's sound asleep. He's in the boat. He's in danger. He's in the boat right with us. And so the question comes that Jesus is going to give later, why are you afraid? <laughs> Well, I'm afraid because it looks like you're asleep. I'm afraid because you're not taking care of us. I'm afraid because we're going to die in this situation if you don't do something. And I want you to know that's not Jesus' opinion 
of this issue. So when you've been in a tough time and you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know how things are going to go and the Lord hasn't guaranteed everything is going to be peaches and cream for you, do you panic? Do you wonder, where are you? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you doing something? I'm about to go under here. Why don't you help? And what we're supposed to learn in this is that faith converts rough waters into calm seas. But you have to have faith. Well, as we move on, verses 24 to 25, in fear of their lives, they wake up Jesus to save them. This is my favorite part. Jesus, as you know, is both 100% God, 100% man. He is fully deity, and he is fully man. And that's who we have in the boat with the apostles. Do you think that Jesus was somehow already aware of the presence of the storm? Is that possible? Of course it's possible. He's God. I think he knew what was going to happen when they, when they uh, put their first foot in the boat and took out. Uh, he was going to be there. He is there. And he knew what was going to happen. But he chose to go ahead and take a nap because he needs it desperately. Do you think that uh, he is very well of what, where, aware of what's going to happen? Of course he knows what's going to happen. And he knows when it's going to happen. He knows how it's going to happen. But he takes a nap. So in verse 24, notice that it says, And behold, there arose a great storm. All right, Not just a little storm, but a great storm. The word is literally in the text, a storm that shook, a shaking storm. And the boat is being swamped. Water is coming in. And Jesus was sound asleep. So you've got to imagine this boat, and they're hanging on for dear life, and it's rocking, going back and forth, and you're hanging on to one side, hanging on to the other. You're starting to wade through a lot of water. And somebody needs to do something because this storm doesn't look like it's going to stop. Well, why don't we wake up Jesus? And so they did. And by the way, he was right there in the boat. You know why I keep saying that? Because sometimes you get in a rough situation, and you blame him because he doesn't seem to be there. Where is he? How come he doesn't care about this? And that's exactly what the apostles did. And they could see the guy in the boat. They just were unhappy that he was asleep. And I just want you to know that there's never a time, ever, ever, when Jesus isn't with you. Never. Have you ever felt like you knew Jesus was there, but he wasn't somehow paying attention, wasn't somehow aware of the greatness of your problem or how much you need him to do something. Do you think that the disciples are going to regret that they woke him up? I would have. I'd have done it. But then after he gets done talking to us, I'd, I would have regretted waking him up. Well, they woke him up. And the Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake. Uh, because of your generosity years ago, Noel and I got to go there. They recommended that we go out early in the morning and watch a sunrise over Galilee. It's beautiful. Had some fishermen out there with nets and stuff. It, it was great. Uh, there was too much fish in the area for me, but anyway... The Sea of Galilee is a, is a lake. It is approximately 8.1 miles wide at its widest 
and people argue about this, but it's approximately 13 miles long, north and south. It is about 690 feet below sea level. So imagine, you know, you got the Mediterranean Sea, you get over to the Sea of Galilee, and boy, it, it takes a, a dip in. Its maximum depth is 141 feet. For as, as lake goes, that's shallow, okay? And it's, it's nothing more than a giant saucer. Uh, you know, some of you and your kids, some of your kids, you have these uh, saucers used in the snow, you know, it's just a big cup thing. Or it could even be thinking of a little a saucer on the, on the table. You know that it's not very deep and it's wide and it doesn't take much to disturb it. And you can just disturb it a little over here and you get over here. It's a, it's a huge disturbance. And so the fishermen knew that if a storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee, it doesn't take much wind to make it a nasty storm. It doesn't take a lot. But this is uh, not the place that you want to be. If the fishermen are scared, there's a reason to be scared. Because they know what, what the sea can do. And they know when to be afraid, and they know when not to be afraid, because they have grown up there and spent their life on that lake. It is a giant saucer, so it doesn't take much uh, to get very rough on that lake, and it can come and go in just a matter of minutes. It is notorious for sudden storms that sweep across it. And that's what they're in. The word in the Greek text for storm here is a word you'll recognize in English. It's seismos. And seismos has to do with earthquakes and things like that. And this word in the Greek could mean an earthquake. And I'd like us to just think about that for a second. It generally refers to an earthquake when it's used elsewhere. And it may be, I'm not saying it is doing this for sure, but why use that word for a storm? It may be indicating that an earthquake below the seafloor was a part of the problem with the waves. It was a great storm with raging winds accompanying this storm. And when seasoned fishermen are afraid, it really should get your attention if you're in the boat with them. The day we, the day we crossed uh, in a boat, we had Chuck Swindoll with us, and uh, uh, he was teaching something. I don't remember what it was, but we're going across. It was beautiful. Nice and calm, not, not very many waves really, and it was, a, it was a great ride. But this is not a great ride. This is the worst of the worst. Then Matthew, the eyewitness, tells us that in the midst of the raging of the storm, Jesus is sound asleep on some cushions that were in the boat. Now, if he is the God-man, why isn't he concerned? Why doesn't he get up and do something? He has to know the men are in peril. He has to know things aren't good. Why was he sleeping? How could he possibly sleep through this mess? And sometimes we look at our mess and say, Jesus, are you sleeping? Get up. Do something. But he's well aware, and he doesn't sleep, not now that he's in heaven with the Father. And Jesus is able to sleep in the midst of danger. We have a problem doing that. Jesus can sleep during trouble. You and I have a problem doing that. In verse 25, somebody, they think, should perhaps inform the God of creation. <laughs> hey, we have a situation here. Somebody wake up Jesus. Apparently he doesn't know this. Uh, we're, we're about to die out here. Somebody wake him up. We'd hate to have him drowned in his sleep, right? So they woke him up to give him the bad news. They do believe that he can save them. That's for sure. But there's something that Jesus brings up that they had not considered in this situation. 
It hadn't dawned on them that they have some responsibility in this situation besides just waking Jesus up for his help out of his sleep. The man does need a nap. Why would you wake him up? And it hadn't dawned on them that they're responsible to take care of the situation. Just like in our hard times, in our troubled times, we have a responsibility before God to take care of that situation. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray. I'm not saying you shouldn't bring it to the Lord's attention, even though he already knows it and he already knows what you're going to pray. The Bible tells us to do that. I think there's a a lot of uh, encouragement when we do that, that God is with us. So they explained to Jesus, in case you hadn't noticed, (laughs) we're perishing. This boat's going to go down. But there is something that Jesus brings up that they haven't considered. So they explained to Jesus, well, we're perishing. It's, it's important. We might have thought that Jesus would jump up and just say, oh, my goodness, thanks for waking me up, boys. I had no idea. Uh, this, this is going to be taken care of right away. He's not surprised. He doesn't just jump up and take care of the situation. Instead, he, uh, instead, Jesus takes time out during the disaster to have a talk with the boys because he recognized, I think, a teachable moment. A teachable moment is more important than rectifying the disaster. Now, I just said a mouthful there. Do you believe it? A teachable moment, I'm just saying it again, is more important than rectifying the disaster that brought about said moment. Okay, so God, why don't you deal with my situation right now? I'm in trouble here. I need your help right now. And God takes time out to teach me something. Now that's going to take time. The boat is still rocking. The water is still coming in. And Jesus is going to teach them something. And sometimes God doesn't act in your situation right away, right on time when you think he should, because he's got what? Something to teach. Something to get across to us. And so this is a teachable moment. And uh, I also think that they were very eager to listen. (laughs) And in the middle of disaster, we are more willing to listen when it's not a disaster. So in verses 26 and 27, he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. So Jesus' first order of business is to take time to teach and chastise the core disciples for their allowing, get this, for allowing fear to reduce their faith to ashes. They allowed the situation to cause them to give up their faith, to destroy their faith. Fear always, always, excuse me, always destroys faith. He didn't jump up and stop the storm so they could all hear very clearly what he had to teach them. Believe you me, they were listening. He chose to do this training during the storm that they were so afraid of and reiterate the lesson again to them, which Matthew doesn't tell us. So I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter 4 for a minute. 
and there's a little bit of difference, and we want to talk about what that difference is. Mark is recording the same event, but he's going to pick on something a little bit differently. Verse 35, on that day when evening came, Jesus said to them, let's go over to the other side. He's talking about the other side of Galilee. Sending away the crowd, they took him along with them in a boat. Notice what what Mark puts in there, this little phrase, just as he was. And I think that's talking about the fact that Jesus is absolutely, totally worn out. He's had no time to rest, so they took him in the boat in that condition. I think that's all Mark is saying. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You ever said that to God? What are you doing? Do you not care about me? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. Now, we read Matthew's issue in there. And what Mark left out is the first rebuke. Oh, you men of little faith, why are you afraid? Then he gets up. Mark picks it up where he gets up, calms the sea. And then we understand that Jesus, using different words, is going to chastise them again. So verse 40 says, and he said unto them, uh, looking at the men, the disciples who could, could hear him, and the Greek text says it this way, why are you cowards? Why are you so cowardly? Well, Lord, in case you didn't notice, uh, we're about to drown out here, maybe. And they became very much afraid. And they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amazing that they thought their problem wasn't going to be able to be solved. And even when they believed he could and they asked him, he solved their problem. And they want to know, Who on earth could do something like this? Well, I can tell you who can't. And that's us. So Jesus chose to do training during the storm that they were so afraid of. And then he reiterated that lesson as Mark records for us. Lord, are you saying that we should have handled this by exercising faith before you wake, wake, we woke you up? Is that what he was saying? I don't think he was happy that he got woke up. He's tired. And he wants to know, what is your problem? Where is your faith? Why are you afraid instead of exhibiting faith? And so, yes, I think that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Does he care about them? You see, they looked at him sleeping there and not acting on this. I mean, who can sleep in this mess? Surely he could get up. They looked at that and said, he doesn't care. And he does care because he left you with a tool to use in the danger that he wants you to use. What is it? It's faith. Does he care for them? Of course he is. 
Why did you have to ask? Have they not seen enough of Jesus and enough of his miracles and enough of what he can do to to wonder, do you care about us? He has cared for them every single day. He's watched over them every single day. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him raise people from the dead. What do you mean does he care? Do you ever ask God if he cares? And wonder, are you sleeping? Elijah, he used that argument against the prophets of Baal on karma. He said, why don't you yell a little bit louder? Maybe your God is sleeping. Our God doesn't sleep. Now, yeah, Jesus was physically asleep in the boat, but it's not like he didn't know what was going on. And he wakes up, and they get chastised for waking him up. Why would you chastise them for waking you up if he thought you could take care of this by having faith in him? He is asking why they let their cowardice take over in the situation instead of using faith in the midst of the storm. See, this is about us. Does that make sense to us today? Is that how we handle the storms of life? Or do we just give in to fear? Or do we think Jesus doesn't really care about me? Do we think he can't handle the storm? They didn't. But they didn't know he could handle it a different way. By faith. Sadly, because of us, Jesus knows us. We tend to listen better during the storm than we do when it's nice and calm and everything's going great and it's hot outside and everything is sunshiny and roses. Jesus said, or said of Jesus, when some people were trying to push him into something he wasn't ready to do on the Lord's timetable in John chapter 2, verse 24, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting or believing himself to them. He means to the men around him. Why? For he knew all men. What's he know about us? We're weak. We're prone to sin. We're prone to fear. We don't listen very well. Sometimes you have to really get our attention before we'll listen. Uh, Sometimes when it's nice and calm and we have a nice heated sanctuary and the pews are soft and everybody's happy, we don't think about what we're going to act like when we're in the middle of a storm. And we think, yeah, I trust him. But the proof is in the storm. And it says, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. He knows we're weak. And he knew that about his disciples. See, it is often hard for God to get us to listen when things are all peaches and cream. This is what happens to disciples who have little faith. Or as Mark said in chapter 4, verse 40, no faith. How many times did Jesus stop to talk to his apostles and turn and say, what is going on here? How long have I been with you? Did you learn nothing from the feeding of the 5,000? Did you learn nothing from the feeding of the 4,000? Everything you've seen, did you learn nothing? Have you walked with God so long and seen his power and his miracles and still you don't believe? chastisement on us this is what happens to disciples who have little faith Mark said no faith it is a great question after all that they have witnessed do you still have no faith what is it going to take for God's people to have faith in him 
What's it going to take for us to just believe him and stand on that faith? Does he want us to have it? Is it important? Does he require it? Yes. Without faith, it is what? Probable that you won't please God or you have a slim chance of pleasing God? Without faith, it is impossible, right, to please God. Impossible. Well, then in verse 26b, back in Matthew, then he stands up and rebukes the sea and the wind. The word rebuke is one that Jesus has used when he exercises demons from people. And those are listed in your, in your bulletin for you. I'm not going to take time to read it. But he uses the word rebuke there against demonic spirits. And the word that was used for earthquake for the storm, uh, it seems to be that Matthew is telling us that there is some demonic element in the storm. Is it true that demons were after Jesus to kill him the whole time he was alive? Yes. That was Satan's goal. Let's put him to death. Let's put the nails in his coffin or on the cross. And Jesus gets up and he uses that word rebuke like he uses when he casts out demons and rebuke the wind and the sea, not just, not just the sea, but, the, but the, the wind and the sea, because in the Old Testament, the sea is a symbol of evil and wickedness. And I think there's a spiritual element here. Did the enemy really think they could get Jesus when he's out on the sea, that he couldn't handle that really? <laughs> Maybe. He was perfectly happy to sleep through the whole thing. Why? Because he was in his father's hands. The boat was in the father's hands. You're in the father's hands. I'm in the father's hands. The Old Testament teaches that Yahweh is the one who calms storms. I do want to look at a couple of those with you if you want to turn with me to Psalm um, 89, 8 and 9. Psalm 89, 8 and 9. O Lord, God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you cause them to be still. And then one that is, uh, many believe is related to this exact event and that it was prophesied in the Psalms, in Psalm 107, 23 to 31. Psalm 107, 23 to 31. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of Yahweh and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, and he lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man, and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were, they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness. At the rebuke of Jesus, the sea and the wind immediately became absolutely calm. And when we're going through trouble, we need to remember one word from Jesus, and this thing is solved. <laughs> 
That's all. And it's up to him to figure out when he's going to do it. I may need to learn a few more things before the storm is over. But I want to be a man, and you want to be a man or a woman of faith as well. At the rebuke of the sea, it all goes calm. In complete amazement, overcome that they are overcome with amazement. They were overcome with fear. Amazement overcomes the fearful men of little faith or no faith, causing them to wonder who Jesus really is. This would be a good time in our study of Matthew to stop and get a good picture of who Jesus is. We've seen enough. He is the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of glory, our Savior, and he can do anything. And no matter what your problem, he's in the boat with you. Jesus is telling them that they should not have been afraid in fear, well, let me put it this way. They should not have been afraid in a fear-inducing situation. They should have had faith in God's benevolent care. So who is this guy? He is the only one you can trust your eternity to and to be saved. How is that going to happen? The Bible tells us through faith in him. Trust him. Do you believe you can calm the seas, tell the wind to knock it off, and it obeys? And the disciples are saying, who is this? Well, I'll tell you who he is. He's the king of glory. And if you'll tell the king of glory in prayer that you're sorry for your sins and ask him to forgive you for your sins, he'll do that. And he'll take away that, that greatest storm, which is death and hell, for those who don't believe. And if I believe that Jesus died and rose again, that he paid for my sins on the cross, and I'm trusting that for my salvation, I have eternal life. Now, I, I can't see that, so to speak, but I believe it's true. And if I have fear instead of faith, then I can't be saved. I must have faith. And that's all I need. Jesus says you can calm the, the storms of life with faith, not fear. So number one, by way of application, Jesus in, indicates that faith, not fear, is the answer we need in the middle of the storms of life. Do you believe that? Believe is just another word for faith, by the way, or trust. And if that's the case, then you and I really need to act like that when we run into those problems. Number two, storms aren't so threatening after all when you finally recognize who is in the boat with you. Number three, sometimes for God's own purposes, he leaves the storms unsettled. And faith is critical in those times. Keep your head up. Keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open. There may be a lesson he's teaching at that time. Or maybe he's just testing your faith. How long can you go in the storm before you give up on me, Jesus might ask. And you look back and you say, no, I trust you. I will never give up. My faith is in you. And finally, faith is what allows one to sleep in the middle of the storm. Sometimes we're having trouble, we can't sleep. I have some verses here I want to read. Psalm 3, 
and then we'll be done. Psalm 3, verse 5. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for Yahweh sustains me. You know, God takes care of you when you're sleeping. Chapter 4, verse 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Yahweh, make me to dwell in safety. And then I want to give you an illustration of that in Acts chapter 12. Get this. Peter's on trial. He has been taken into custody. He is in a dungeon, sort of jail-like cell. He is between two guards, and he's chained to them. Because the, the populace was so pleased when, when the king cut off James's head, he decided, I'm going to do that to Peter too. Let's get the leader. And so the night before his execution, <laughs> he's in a jail cell between two guards, and he is asleep. Would you be asleep? Could you sleep through that? Well, here's what it says, and we'll close with this. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. And by the way, when he gets out, we find out uh, they're scared that he showed up, and their prayer session apparently wasn't as much about faith as they thought it would be. But anyway, on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, that means to cut his head off, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. See, God takes care of the storms to the point that you could lay down in the bow of the boat and sleep as well. That's our prayer for us. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we've asked a number of questions about this text. You have answered them all. You expect us to be people of faith, people that don't allow the storms in life to cause us to doubt, to fear, and to run to you and wonder and ask you, well, do you even care? Help us to remember, you're in charge of the storms. You're in charge of the trouble. You're in charge of whatever comes our way, and nothing comes to us that you didn't first say it could happen. So let us not, Lord Jesus, be the people who say you're not there, you don't care, but say you are there, you do care, and it's you and me, Lord, and I trust you. In Jesus' name we pray that this would be true of us. Amen.